Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Monday morning, I send out a storytelling tip to my email subscribers, and I talk about how I have used it in my own storytelling for my clients and for myself, and I leave you with tangible advice on how you can apply it to your strategies. If this sounds like something that would interest you, go ahead and sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. Again, that's rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that helps you tell heartfelt stories to maximize your impact in minimal time. Find out more about what we do at sixsecondstories.com. If you listen to the show or if you follow any of my content, then you probably already know this. On the surface, I like to help people leverage the power of storytelling to create connections, right? And then what we do with those connections depends on our personal missions. But underneath it all, the underlying thing that I'm trying to help people do is navigate their health and happiness. That's something that I'm so passionate about. And I know that stories is such a powerful way to do that. Specifically, it helps us with the concept or the feeling of shame of solitude, of feeling less worthy, of feeling like we're alone. I know that the first step in helping people by sharing stories is by showing them that you empathize with them, showing them that you understand what they're going through, helping them realize that they're not alone. Then it helps them navigate that and find a way forward. And you probably know if you listen to my content that I'm a big Brene Brown fan and, and she is a shame and vulnerability researcher and she talks about how shame needs secrecy to grow, right? And the, the antidote, or the opposite of that is to speak about it, to tell stories, to share your stories about it. So for the past few years, I've been really fascinated with how stories can help people through that feeling of shame. Today, I'm talking with Nick Jaworski of Podcast Monster, um, who is an expert podcaster in producing podcasts for other people, but he has a new show called Shame Rules. Now, I want to digress for just a second because I think it applies to how I found out about Nick. Now, when you host a show, um, 
periodically you'll get these emails from people, these podcast bookers who are trying to get their clients on shows, right? They have a book to promote. They have a new show to promote. They have something to promote. And almost always it's it's tone deaf or doesn't relate at all to my show. And it's just like, hey, you know, they're just talking about the person and all their great accolades and how I could benefit from them because of their network. I mean, like, it's like, well, if it's not my niche or my target audience, what difference does it make if they have a million subscribers, right? Uh, you, you know, so-and-so is a famous yoga athlete. It's like, all right, I don't have a yoga podcast. But the reason I, I reached out to Nick and connected with Nick was 100% because of his podcast booker and her name was Alex. And I just want to read a little bit about hers because this applies. This is storytelling. This is pitching. This is understanding how to empathize with the person you're talking to and what value they need. Alex clearly showed the value that I need. Hi, Rain. Hope you're having a great week. My name is Alex, and I'm reaching out on reaching out on behalf of Nick Jaworski to see if you'd be interesting and interested in having him on your show to talk about the power of authentic storytelling. Already, she knows what our show is about: authentic storytelling. Nick is a storyteller, podcast host, and digital audio producer who, since 2014, has been producing and editing podcasts with New York Times bestselling authors. Yada yada yada. His accolades, you know, the things that we need to know that Nick's got some clout. Nick is proud of his new show, Shame Rules, in which he explores ways in which shame has shaped so many stories. There we go again. Nick is telling these stories about shame in hopes that by understanding how shame shapes our lives, it will help us navigate the future in a more, in a better and more healthy way. This, how many times did you hear the word stories? And also a unique, uh, a unique angle on stories. And it was, you know, and then she said, I attached this one sheet so you could find out more information. Let me know if you're interested in having him. Not pushy at all. Played to what my show would need and what it has and understanding that not every show is a fit for every guest. And and it was perfect. So I reached out to Nick and we had as much of a blast as you can have talking about shame. We had it. I mean, we're like-minded people. We vibed immediately. Totally think that we would be friends uh, if, if 2020 would ever let us uh, meet people in person again. But we talked about shame and, and uh, his new show does such a great job. It's so interesting because they don't just talk about shame that each episode dives into these stories and that illustrate how how shame works and how shame uh, affects us and impacts us and he's joined by shame scholars and researchers and authors and filmmakers it's not like it's like a documentary almost it's like a non-fiction story that's told each episode about shame so uh he puts a lot into it he is an expert podcaster uh and i look up to him because of that but i also look up to him because of his life's mission i mean ultimately you know when i when i look at nick and he was wearing a cap when we talked he just looks like a dude like i am right and and it makes me really happy because it tells me that you don't have to be some you know scientist or some um kind of person with no personality to try to to deal with and talk about and help people through these these tough topics uh i like that we seemed like a couple of dudes talking about shame and vulnerability i really like that and i think it's gonna it's gonna take that to really course correct and make this part of a bigger conversation so in a little conversation nick and i had a great time and talked about these elements and how we can navigate this thing called shame and how stories can help us. So here's my conversation with Nick Jaworski, and I hope you love it. So I was reached out to um, by, what's her name, who was booking for you? Alex. Alex, who is awesome, and I've had a conversation with uh, since then because she was so awesome. So shout out to Alex because I get several of those emails from people booking uh, guests on, on podcasts, and hers was excellent. She is good at what she does, and that's why I responded to hers just to let her know that and then explore any, any opportunities with you and I. Now, what stood out to me, I know that, and I want to know a little bit about your background with podcasting because I know that's really been uh, your main focus for, for years now, but what stood out to me was the topic 
of your new podcast and your new venture, Shame Rules, because for me, storytelling is, I mean, fits into that mold. One of, you know, it's, I hate that it's almost cliche now to say like that Brene Brown is, is one of my heroes. <laughs> you know, I'm glad for her that she's such a household name now, but that's what first got me into that whole space of courage and empathy and vulnerability and shame. Uh, personally, I come from uh, an addictive family. My father was an alcoholic. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, mental health issues and addiction and, and, and things like that that run in my family and things that were suppressed and not really talked about. So as an adult, this is something that for various reasons I'm into. Yeah. Before we dive deeply into that, I want to learn a little bit more about um, your podcasting background and, and your storytelling background, because I know that's always been woven through the work that you do. And I think that any good uh, interviewer, any good host, any good speaker, inherently or intrinsically knows that stories are a part of that but where does where did you fit into that space well you know it's interesting my background is in music education a two degree mm-hmm. how to teach music uh i was also in an air force guard band for five or six years and back when i uh you know i had this journey of i'm going to be a musician i'm going to teach music i love music yeah and um uh, but here's my hipster cred yes so uh which i don't have a lot of but this is my for people of a certain age, this should resonate. Uh, I used to, when I was in high school, I used to set an alarm, this little tiny alarm I had, to go listen to This American Life at six o'clock on a Sunday evening, before it was a podcast, before podcasts were things. Yeah. And I had this dream of like, oh, when I'm in college, I'm going to go intern for This American Life. I bought, back then, you couldn't re-listen to old episodes, so I, I bought it on CD. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize for that everything that I had done since then, I was like, oh, I'm teaching music, was really focused on like, how does this read to my audience? Oftentimes it was a student, oftentimes it was a parent, oftentimes. And then long, long, long story short, one day I just went, you know, I don't want to teach anymore because it's, it's, I, I, it does suck. I put that in quotes. <laughs> it's just so hard. And I, for anyone out there right now in a pandemic who's teaching, I, I mean, just hats off to that. I mean, it's, I cannot imagine I mean, coupling, just having to relearn how to teach virtual. It was just so much stuff. So anyway. All that. Um, so I found myself podcasting. And quickly what I found out was that people, when they enter into the, the content production world, which you're familiar with, like I got a, this idea of like, you're just a content producer, whatever that means, <laughs> that people often don't, they don't think about that step of like, what is being said? How is it being said? And what's my job in terms of, facilitating a, um, a pleasurable experience. I think that content has become largely this idea of like, it's just a thing, just have it. Mm. And so I, I don't, you know, I run a podcast production company. Um, I don't think that it's particularly, I say it on website. It's not a rocket science to make a podcast. Truly, it is not. But I do think the special sauce is if you take the time to go, well, what, what is being said? How is it being said? And honestly, a lot of people just don't. And you know this. A lot of people just go like, I'm just doing a thing. And that is enough. <laughs> I just need to get the thing out there. Just yes. get to the finish line. Totally. So what were you, what were you podcasting about? You said you got into podcasting from the, the teaching. Was it about teaching? What was the first one? So my, I, I started teaching what I used to call rock and roll methods to high school kids on the South side of Chicago, which was weird. I, I, I taught it in rural Illinois first and then it turned into just like modern music stuff. Yeah. But the most popular project that I did was a project called music as identity which Mm. was like what are the stories that how does music intersect with your life in these ways and so but what they were really doing was crafting these three to four minute long stories that you put on I mean they really were just like NPR ready things and these kids would would produce these things using GarageBand or Audacity very low tech and they would play them for their parents and their parents would sob. They didn't know these things or whatever. And so wow. it really was this re- reiterating this idea that like, I love music. I mean, God, I've spent so much time, so much money, so much energy. <laughs> I love music. I love playing music. But the thing about music was that it was always a project to just do. I love doing projects. And so are you familiar with OK Go? Yeah, for sure. You know, at one point, one of them said that like, we're a band, but it's just kind of a vehicle to do cool things. And I really like feel, so they do like the videos. and The like, videos that they're, yeah, they're known for. Yeah, they view themselves as creative types and it just happens to be that they're a band. And I kind of realized eventually that that was 
I had just sort of tricked myself into thinking that it was that I was a musician and I don't think that's what it was. It's just mm -hmm. that I like projects. <laughs> well, I mean, I love the, the concept there about music is so tied to identity, I think. I mean, we all have those songs that take us back to a certain place of our childhood, good or bad, uh, take us back to a certain feeling. I mean, it, identity is really wrapped, our music is really wrapped up into identity or vice versa uh, completely. So I really love that way of, it's almost like a sneaky way of, of extracting these stories from the kids. If you'd asked them, if you tasked them with, Hey, tell me a story about this. It would have been really hard. But if you're like, talk to me about a song and what it means to you, it kind of like makes that transition into the story a lot easier. It seems. Well, actually here's the, here's the secret. Don't, don't tell my phone. I won't story, tell anybody. Which was that no one will hear this, <laughs> which was that, uh, really, it was an exercise in discussing what is good and what is bad. Ooh. Really, what I was trying to do is sort of backdoor my way into saying, look, it isn't coincidence that the music, all of the music that you like is good music. Mm. Right? That's always the trick we play. We go, oh, my God, it's so lucky that I alone like all the good stuff. And you go, well, no, it's not, has nothing to do with the quality of the art itself. It just has to do with the fact that you have all of these stories tied up with it. You know, you sang the songs with your mother and brother in the car trip. You, um, your first dance was to this, you know, whatever it is. And so it was really intentional. It started as a way to go, how do we get in there so I can let kids hear other music without instantly saying this is dumb or stupid. <laughs> and then it kind of like grew, grew from there on its own. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that's the secret. Don't tell anyone. And so then after that, uh, first trial, basically, or for first project in the podcasting world. How did that develop into what became Podcast Monster? Uh, luck. And I often say that if I had planned any of this, I would have failed. And that is actually not distracted from shame itself, right? <laughs> um, and so just like doing a lot of hopefully good work for very, very cheap for years, and then eventually having enough clients telling me like, you don't, charge enough you don't mm -hmm. value yourself enough you don't um like i don't view you as an editor i view you as like a producer and a, and a consultant and other stuff and so um i felt very very lucky to to be aligned with the right people at the right time to kind of push me forward but having said that the whole dismissal of it the whole the idea of like i mean you have a podcast you tell people you have a podcast and the, it's it's almost shameful to say that out loud <laughs> to go to go Hey, I have a new podcast. Did you listen to it? Like, how, you're just like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I did this to you. So, uh, you know, there was a, a long time of, of not owning it either. But then I got yeah. lucky. My other show is a show called Where There's Smoke. That's uh -huh. a whole story behind how I got uh, lined up with Brett there. But um, that was a show that we produced week in and week out and still in production, just in smaller bursts. That gave me the skills to really like go, oh, I have taste. And I think it has value and I'm going to pursue this. So you said something that was really interesting to me about not valuing yourself enough and other people having to recognize that for you. That happens a lot, especially if somebody's in, I mean, really in any field, but I see it a lot in artistic fields, maybe just because that's where I am most of the time. But I, I was just recording an intro to an episode before, before we got on uh, this talking about how one of the best pieces of feedback that I get is, you know, something along the lines of you helped me uh, view myself as a storyteller for the first time, because how I see it, we all, we all are, we, I mean, we're human, right? So we all are. And so I was talking about that concept of how meaningful that is because most often the things that are blocking us are not access or ability, but you know, Ego, insecurity, these things that are blocking us. Shame. Yes. Which is kind of where we're headed with this. So that just makes me think about, like, let's talk a little bit about that issue. You were dealing with that. I've dealt with that as a filmmaker or a story coach, which I've been doing a lot more this year, charging well, a little bit because I don't have a lot of experience. Right. Like, why do we do that? Why do we? Well, let, let, let me. Let me you got well, it. Just, here's, here's a perfect example of how, well, when I was in grad school, I did a, a degree in music ed, but then I did all the coursework for a communication thing because okay. I was really interested in just um, 
issues related to identity specifically, actually. Yeah, yeah. One of the things about identity really is that identity is really a story. It's a story mm-hmm. that we tell ourselves. So that's, there's a whole concept there we have to really unpack. And I don't know if I really could at this point, but I was living, I, I left Chicago, I was living in St. Louis and I'm you know, living in my friend's basement and like starting to produce podcasts and it's whatever. And I'm like, oh, this shame. Like, what is this? I have this master's degree, blah, blah. And then I went out to California. I got a job, a temporary job at um, Edutopia, which is, anyone who listens to NPR, it's the George Lucas hmm. Educational Foundation thing. So if you've ever listened to like, you know, anything, they always sponsor it. But when I went out there, I was like, I just need to shake it up, go out there for four or five months. And when I was there, the business really took off and the podcasting business. And I was talking to some people and they kept going, I, I would explain like I was living in this basement and I was doing this stuff and I couldn't get it together. And I'm like, oh, just all these feelings. And they would go, oh, well, you're a creative, that's why. And so out in California in San Francisco, they had a word for it. Whereas when I was in St. Louis, it's just, I was a fuck up. Excuse me, I don't know if I can say. <laughs> you're fine, buddy. Yeah. So like there's this distinction between like the, I didn't have a word for what that meant. You know, like, but somehow when I went to California, it was viewed as normal to positive. Like, well, of course you're this way. Like, of course you were riddled with self-doubt and, and anxiety. Like, that's kind of your job. <laughs> and so, um, but even had, but that was really freeing to go, oh, like, oh, I get that. So I don't know, I don't know how to solve that at all. But it was really interesting to say, like, it's okay. Other people have it. It's so common. We have a word for it. Like, um, you know, whereas before it just felt like, oh no, I just done messed up again, which was a lot of my twenties and early thirties. Yeah. I mean, I think that part of feeling like you're not the only one is a, is a big one is a big one to, to finding any way forward because that, that shame monster, when you're, it, it makes you feel isolated. It makes you feel like you're the only one in the world facing that. And then you have no way to see your way out or see a light at the end of the tunnel, you know? So, I mean, it's shame is, uh, I, yeah. Is this, when, when did this emerge as something that you were passionate about? Like maybe before you decided to launch a show, was there a point or, or a time in your life that you can be like, that you started realizing you were like fascinated with this topic of shame and how we're all dealing with it? My, my father, Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, who, uh, when I was in middle school, talked a lot about, um, um, what did he, t- he would talk about like guilt trips and like uh, just like, we started talking a lot about guilt and shame which he'll never hear this was his own thing like that's he was he had his own stuff going on we've all got stories so um <laughs> he, he uh you know he fun fact actually he was a priest and my mother was a nun before oh. and you'd think to yourself you go oh well that's where shame comes from but here's just a fun little tidbit for everybody um they've done research on this and it really no religion holds any sort of corner on shame. It doesn't matter. We all assume that religion or Jewish or uh, whatever. It's everyone's shamed, ashamed all the time. So uh, anyway, that's just as an aside, but um, I had just pitched an episode on shame for where there's smoke. Mm-hmm, it's yeah. a show that is a self-development show that explores, it uses like pop culture and story and just to kind of go, you know, like if the election's right now, we'd go, well, what can we use from the election to go to say, I'm a better person because I've thought about this or I've done this thing. And I wanted to do an episode on shame. And as I started to like kind of research and write it, I couldn't, I just couldn't narrow it down. I was like, well, mm-hmm. oh God, there's so much stuff. Like what? And then eventually when we were on this huge long hiatus, I went, well, let's just make the show and see what happens. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've got a whole notebook. I mean, it's just endless. It's endless. It's everywhere. So uh, we've got six episodes that are coming out, or either out or coming out that, uh, you know, I hope, I hope allow people, the thing about Brene Brown, that she does so much great work, but I think it's, my argument is that it's a little narrow in how we perceive of shame and that the idea of shame is sort of largely focused on this unpleasant feeling we have is, is not the full picture of what shame does mm. as a force. And that really was kind of the thing where I said, oh, well, I have a lot to talk about now um, because I'm not going to out Brene Brown, Brene Brown. I wouldn't even try. Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or anybody for that matter. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. So that's the, the show really does kind of explore what shame is a structural force, both internally, but also just like in the mechanisms of society. What does shame do? 
Well, I mean, okay, let's say that you're any oppressed, uh, marginalized person. You could be a woman, you could be a person of color, you could be trans, you could be LG, whatever. Um, shame, the, the, old, the, the whole thing is centered around what is socially acceptable, right? If shame is, a, is an emotion that is regulating how we act in society amongst other people, the only reason that, you know, if you're a, a gay teenager or whatever, the only reason that's a thing is because of shame, period, right? It doesn't make any sense. There's nothing inherent in anybody that is bad. So the only reason that these people feel this way is because society has decided that there is value in everybody being the same. And to be fair, for a period of time, that was true. That's the thing about the, our conversations around shame, where we go, shame the shamers is a thing people say, um, uh, you know, shame is always bad, whatever. I'm not convinced that that's accurate, right? Because there have been, there is some evolutionary, at least some would argue that there's some evolutionary value for shame, particularly mm. with smaller societies and people. Um, and, I, and so, yeah, it's just like really, really fascinating to think about it. And, what are some of those potential benefits you think? I mean, like it makes, you can go ahead and answer that. <laughs> well, sorry, I'm like rambling. This is so No, tough. no, no. This is, I'm, I'm happy to. So, you know, it's tough right now because, let me take one step back. Mm-hmm. Uh, however many decades ago, maybe a hundred years ago, you could have some belief and you could believe, let's say that I think that trees can think. Right, I just, it's just a, just a thing. And I go, oh, trees can think. And I can tell my neighbor, I can go, Fred, do you know the trees can think? And Fred's gonna go, Nick's insane. I don't know what this is, blah, 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 blah. And I can live my life and I can do my thing and I can hold this belief. But back in the day, I could change that belief. Maybe Fred and my other neighbors start to shame me um, because they think I'm weird or crazy or whatever. But it used to be that there was an opportunity in theory when it worked out for me to change my views, whether or not I actually believe it or not, right? I, just because I want to fit in, because shame is a social thing. Um, but so I would say that there was perhaps a point in time where there was value in just like reinforcing social norms that weren't harmful and that would keep people together. And the trees can think is not a good example of that, but I wanted, <laughs> I wanted something non-controversial. The, the thing where it kind of breaks down now is that we have self reported ourselves to the world yeah, there, yeah. it is so hard now to unthink a thought that you have because you've said it to everybody and it's written down and they can search for it they can go hey i remember when you thought trees could think that was just six months ago what's wrong with you and there's nothing worse than being wrong right that's shameful in and of itself it's more oh, shameful yeah. than the original idea so there is some inner intersection of technology and shame that is that is very, very interesting, and I do not think is divorced from some of the problems that we see now. Do you think, or and if so, how do you think storytelling can help someone who is experiencing that shame, whether listening to someone else's story, sharing their own stories, is that something that can be used as a tool to combat shame? Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to know. I mean, it's just like we, you mentioned before. You have to know that you're not alone. Mm. But I actually might argue that it's maybe more important to witness other people hear the story. Does that make sense? So Yeah, say more about that. One thing for if someone to tell you a story and you go, oh, that was just like me. And, but, you know, if you're anybody, if anybody listening is like me, I might hear a story that's so similar (laughs) and I'll go, wow, that sounds a lot like me, but I'm more garbage than they are. Or whatever, like so, right? So it's like really nice, but they're more redeemable than I am, right? Mm-hmm. Shame is a the, the the basic definition of shame and guilt, right? Guilt is I did something bad, and shame is I am bad. Right. So uh, the more shame you feel, of course, that just the deeper it goes, and the more terrible you feel about yourself. Um, but if you see someone tell a story, and you're with other people or whatever, and you can witness that other people generally don't care, or other people generally are accepting or understanding of the story. I think that that's just as powerful. And if you think about, I see you've got a wedding ring on, I don't know if you have kids or not, but like that, there's that sort of like modeling of what it means to see and view someone's shame, I think is just as powerful. 
as it is to, to have told your own or even to have heard someone else's story. What's your goal with the show? Um, I want people to think critically about the ways in which shame invisibly shapes so much. I mean, so much, whether it's, and often invisibly shapes our own opinions about things. Right? Totally. I was about to say, took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like, if I don't realize that shame is a thing that, I mean, how many laws or punishments exist from a notion of shame? Like, for example, I was thinking about this other, it's actually in an episode recently. Why do we publish um, uh, mugshot photos? Like, what is that? It's mm-hmm. not like, it's not a wanted poster. We, we got him. We got the guy. <laughs> like, the only function of that is to shame somebody. And this is supposed to be a restorative justice system, right? You're supposed to do your time, and hopefully when you come out, you're supposed to be better off. Um, but if you look at it and you say, well, shame is bad, and then you look at our, our justice system, you would go, man, you couldn't design something more shameful from top to bottom if you tried. Um, and so how is it that anybody who comes out of there with any sort of like pride and sense of place in the world and contributes is like a hero to me. I mean, it's such a, it's such an onslaught onto our fellow citizens that I just wish that if we were to think about it more, it's not criminal justice just as an example, but if we think about it more, we might see how we're complicit in it and we might forgive ourselves for some of our problems. What's the first step to some of that forgiveness? Oh man, I don't know. You tell me. Like, right, like, how do, you know, I, despite dealing with, uh, I went to the dentist today. (laughs) I went to the dentist today for my tooth. And in my digital onboarding form, I had to say, like, please be nice. (laughs) I know my tooth is a problem. I, like, have all this shame over my teeth and all this. That's funny. And, uh, you know, it's not something that I think people can fully conquer. Um, and I think so that if more management, did, yeah, I think if you did something might be wrong. Yeah. Um, I, 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 and I, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I haven't read enough Renee Brown and other people. I don't think anyone's <laughs> truly suggesting that you can conquer it, but we shouldn't be, um, it's a synonym conquered and ruled, but we shouldn't be, our lives should not be dictated by it, right? You're still going to feel it. There's yeah. a notion in shame research about what they call shame proneness, which is this idea that, Okay. Some people are highly prone to shame. Some people are not very prone to shame. But that doesn't actually indicate how much they actually feel it. You can be very, you can feel shame. You're not very prone to it. Sure. When you do, it is devastating. Devastating. (laughs) Or you can be very highly prone to shame. um, And when you feel it, it's just, you, you, maybe you're accustomed to it, whatever. You're able to push through. Um, Well, I think, you you know, and and that's, that's, uh, I think that, you know, I like the point you're making about it's, it. It's not necessarily about like eradicating it or getting rid of it forever, but managing it. Right. I mean, because it's like uh, I, before the pandemic, I was starting to speak a lot on stage. I loved it. I, I'm excited to get back to it. Um, and any speaker that I looked up to or talked to that have been doing this for a long time or, uh, I know Mike Tyson has said this about boxing. Any performer still gets nervous. It's just a matter of being able to work through that that feeling easier, you know, faster. Um, like they still feel those same feelings. And so it, it sounds like what we're striving to to do is just being being able to be self-aware of like, oh, that's the shame monster that's kind of speaking up, you know, like, and then that makes it easier to move past that once you can kind of call attention to it and be self-aware of it. Does that sound kind of like yeah. what? Well, I, I think that's definitely true. And there's, okay. I want to make sure there's a distinction between like what is embarrassment and what is shame. Ah, yes. Because embarrassment, you know, you left your fly down. Um, it's, it's closer to guilt in a way that it's about the action and not the person. You know, if you leave your fly down as you're talking on stage, you're, you might say like, that was so stupid. I can't believe I did that, whatever. But you're yeah. not going, I'm the dumbest. I'm, you know, it doesn't stay with you in the same way. Um, but I do think, so there's, there's that idea of saying, I need to be able to manage shame. The other part of that though, is saying, um, let me gather my thoughts. Sorry, editor. <laughs> Sorry, whoever's editing this. What was the, what was the first part? Of the, it was, how do we, Oh, 
But the other part of that is saying, how does my shame dictate how I interact with others in the world? Which really is the, that's the thing that I'm perhaps most interested in is saying, is it my shame that is causing me to be so mad at X, you know, my wife or my family or my colleagues or my whatever? Is it my shame that um, shapes some of my worldviews around various topics? Like, I think that if we can, it's not just how I feel, but it really dictates how I, how we act. And I think that that is really the thing that I'm trying to do with shame rules, um, right? Because shame does rule us in some way. Yeah. It also has its own rules of engagement. And we're trying to understand what those are so that we can be better informed. You know, it's funny you said the thing, the thing about the tooth and you had mentioned that um, before we started recording and, and I didn't mention this in return, but I have a, a cracked tooth that has been not, not just cracked, but like a chunk of the tooth is missing. I'll be clear. Um, and that happened when I was just at a really low point in life, just this emotional financial pit, um, where I was struggling to finish a project and out of money and debt was high, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and it broke and I wasn't able to, to get it fixed. Um, and it just didn't ever really hurt. Now I have other crowns. I've had cracked teeth before that, you know, when you have cold water, you, you feel that you feel the nerves and they cause pain. So I, I had to tend to those, this one never hurt, but it was still, I felt that shame that, that you had mentioned earlier and I still do. Now I actually just went to the dentist for the first time in a long time, a month or two ago. And they said, well, you know, it's, it, there's no, um, damage there's no decay like if it's not causing you pain like you really don't need to do anything about it i was like i thought that was the situation but but i still felt the way that 2014 rain did and i walked in there and as soon as we i sat down to into the hygienist i was like all right don't judge me you know i've got a cracked tooth i mean this is so crazy it's so similar and i i still had that baggage in the back of my head for how i felt because in 2014, it was just another shitty thing that was happening in my life that I couldn't control and couldn't afford to, to, to make better. So there was, a, there was a lot of shame wrapped up in it then, but it's still there somewhere. So like, well, how do we manage that, that shame baggage that we may have from years past? Well, I, it's interesting because you're not alone. My wife has all kinds of issues just with going to the dentist and other stuff. And I think, let's talk about the, the, the dentist specifically. I don't have any particularly bad um experience with the dentist at all but there is something about it is right okay think about what a shame reaction is so the standard things are and children really show us this very easily right um a a child who's shamed will literally cower in a corner they will they will go into a fetal position um they will avert when you are in a shame episode you don't look at people um partially because we associate shame with being seen so we want to, we don't want to match we don't want to see what people are seeing of us we don't want to look at them and so let's say you've got a dental a tooth issue and you go i didn't floss enough i didn't whatever and some people just have crappy teeth my best friend her dad's a oral sur- or an orthodontist she flosses every day all this stuff her teeth are crap <laughs> they just are bad but anyway let's say you didn't do what you were supposed to do and now you gotta go not just anybody you got to go lay down, which is a very vulnerable position. True. With your mouth open. <laughs> and they like go in your body. And they're like trained to know how bad you are. It really is like a, a perfect storm of why somebody might feel so shame, like so much shame as they go. And the same with the doctor, of course. You go to the doctor. Um, they're going to tell you you're not eating right. They're going to tell you, you don't get enough sleep. They're going to tell you whatever. You know, blood pressure. And that's all also a nightmare as well. Um, it's just there's being seen by somebody who we value their opinion of us um, is, is so difficult. I know you asked a different question, but I just no, but I love that. I mean, I never had thought about how vulnerable this the going to the dentist um, actually is. And, so and, and I would I would piggyback on to that. And say that like this one is is almost more important because it's so seen, it's so visible, right? It's your teeth, it's so cosmetic, and 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 we equate a pretty smile with like a pretty person, right? Or good teeth with a with a pretty person, 
you know, if it's something with the doctor, oh, you know, I've got diabetes. I mean, at least for, you know, to an extent you can kind of conceal that or keep that to yourself. But the teeth is so like front and center to what people see that we are, we have a complex around that. Oh yeah. I mean, and and it's not, you know, I think that with the doctor, you see similar stuff. It's actually, I I have glasses, I've worn glasses for a long time. I will say that it's why I love the optometrist. It's because it's the only place, it's the only medical procedure where you didn't do anything wrong. Mm. And like, it really is this where they just ask you like, Oh, does this is better? Or is this better? And it is the best. If anyone hasn't had their eyes checked in a while, you should a, because they check for all kinds of important things. They check for brain tumors. Uh, But B, it just feels great. So I don't know if you wear glasses or not, but I do. Yeah, I have contacts in now, which it took me. So good. They just say like, "Hey, is this better or is it this?" And you're like, "I don't know." I think it was number one. You do it again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's the best. Uh, what? So what's the format of of the show? Like, do you have guests on, or what is it? What does it sound like? I know you so, just released it, right? Well, yeah, we got three episodes out now. Um, we got three more coming. Um, the topics include. Episode one is called Patient Zero. It's a historical look at the dawn of the AIDS epidemic. Um, because the argument is that there is one man who was named Patient Zero. Uh, who The argument was that it was his shame over his diagnosis that um, led him to intentionally infect gay men all over North America. It's a very Damn. fascinating story. And the question is, is that true or not? So that's a historical look. I talked to a documentarian. I talked to the leading expert on the epidemiology of the early AIDS epidemic. Um, they're, they're largely, I'm looking into the past. Second episode is about, do you remember the 90s purity movement? Do you remember that at all? Purity movement? Yeah, in the 90s, everybody was wearing purity rings. We were all doing all, all kinds of stuff. And oh, so, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, actually. And interestingly, I don't know your exact age, but what I'm finding is that so many people, I just turned 38 literally yesterday. Okay, we're the same age. <laughs> so, so many people have forgotten it but it was so important yeah 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 that's why at first y'all was like what are you and then then i was like oh okay yeah yeah, all these groups that were coming out of of public high schools all everybody was the thing that was happening dude that's so funny i haven't thought about that in so long but it was everywhere right and so the question is what was that and what's the history of what's what like what 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 was that (laughs) well i know i know i love it What's the history of, you know, the idea of a purity movement is not new, but the way it was being targeted at teenagers was particularly interesting. And the question is, is there a cost to that? So this was like promise rings. The yeah. what, what would Jesus do? Like movement was around yeah. that. Everybody, like you think about like everybody from like Miley Cyrus, Selena Gomez. That's a little bit later, actually. Yeah. It, was, it was like a 20 year span where uh, the, you know, they took a bunch of like, I don't know, 100,000, 200,000 pledge cards of like, yeah, abstinent till I'm married. Yeah. They put them on the national mall, right? They like, they had all these events. And, you know, I, we talk about that that was a, it's not new to say to teenagers don't have sex, but the question was, how is this different? And does it have a cost? Was it effective? Um, and then how do you recover from that? Talk to you. And then the third episode is about, um, Oh, it's about the history of the shame parade, which is a real thing. I don't know if you've ever seen Game of Thrones. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, you know, the idea of somebody being publicly paraded around um, as, as a form of punishment is a real thing. It's not just from the movies. It's not just from the Scarlet Letter. And we sort of take a look at some examples of that um, to, to bring them to your attention, to go, mm-hmm. hey, this was a thing that was very literal back then, but, is now an act, but now is we don't think of it this way, but still is. And um, so lots, it's lots of academics. I love academics. It's my grad school. I just like, mm-hmm. and we, we try to tell the story with, with the right beats and with some twists. So the goal here is that it's, it's an engaging time because, and you'll appreciate this, when I pitched this to somebody once, a couple, two or three years back, they went, you can't do a podcast on shame. You can't do it. And I was like, why? And like, it's just so hard. It's to me too hard. I don't want to listen to it. I can't. Yeah, people don't want to hear that. It's and so not... the goal was the whole time was to say, let's make it approachable. It's like a little fun. Um, not the, so that we can then talk about it. So <laughs> the, the idea here is that, you know, there's like some true crime element to it, especially with those first and third episodes. But I don't want people to enter into it unable to hear it because they're already defending themselves against this like presumptive shame that we feel. I mean, you can feel shame by yourself at any point. No one has to see it. It's a thing that we 
we go, if someone saw this, they would, they would judge me so hard. So the show is designed to be approachable in that way. Um, just centered on stories and um, real stuff. And it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like each episode plays like a little, like a short documentary, basically. Is that, is that yep. fair to say? That's, it's, my, it's my dream of dreams. It's like, if this was the thing I got paid to do all the time, this is what I would do. It's that NPR audio documentary, um, just like, here's the info and, you know, paced out with some lovely music. Mm-hmm. You guys are going to love it. If, you, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you want to think about shame, but don't want to feel shame all the time, yeah, if you want to hear a highly polished podcast, go listen to Shame Rules. Hey, I've listened to I've listened to this show. It sounds great. <laughs> Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Um, so I want to ask, like, how do you how are you sourcing these stories? Like, how are you finding these? How much work is involved on the on the front end of like research? And are these like you already know them because you've been infatuated with Shame for for years? So okay, this is a I, I'm not gonna turn the camera around because of my own shame. But, uh, you know, just at my desk right now, this was the, here's our collection of books and, and other stuff. This is for, this is for a couple of things, but you know, it's a ton of books more so than online content, because I find that, I mean, you write stuff, people write things. I find that things online are too, they're like too mediated for me. And especially when it comes to shame, I find that shame itself is so like specifically constructed that if, that I have to go to the source as much as possible. And so it's been a lot of honestly, very dense books (laughs) and uh, true story. I developed a pencil habit during the production of this podcast. I'm really into pencils now. So if anybody (laughs) wants to talk to me about that, I just found myself writing so much and it felt, I just needed to find the right pencils. And so uh, just reach out to me. At podcast master on Twitter, if you want to talk about pencils. Oh, I remember when I was. <clears throat> we used to. Did you ever pencil fight? We used to pencil fight. Oh yeah. Now like I like fourth, fifth grade. Oh yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because that game made no sense. You know, like <laughs> it's one of those my games. mom. My mom would get so pissed because she would send me money for the school store, and she would find. I used to stash them out back behind, like our shed. There was a plastic bag, like a grocery bag, full of broken pencils that had never been used. I remember she sat down, like she like let me have it. She got so pissed because she was paying for that, and we were just sitting there breaking them at school for no reason. Well, see now I could tell you which kind of wood you should be getting, which kind of pencils you should be getting. Oh yeah, well I I I got pretty good. We were. We were good, but we still broke a lot along the way. Um, so, shame rules. Where can we find it? Anywhere we listen to podcasts these of, days, everywhere. Of course, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm very. I think now in this moment where everyone's at home, yeah, and in this moment of change, with uh, you know, the pandemic has forced us to confront our own behaviors, um, and. I, I don't know if anyone wants to get into it, but I'll just sort of openly say that I don't think that shame is divorced from the ways in which some Americans particularly are handling this pandemic. And so I think it's a good time if you're interested in it. We'll be talking about some of that coming up. Just go shamerules.com or, you know, I'm on all the Instagram things. You can see photos. People, I have some shame rules garbage or paper bags that I had made. People all over the world have been taking pictures with bags on their heads. You can go see that at our Instagram page. So uh, come check it out. That's awesome. And he's a, and he's a marketing expert. No, uh, no. It's one day we'll talk about how to market a podcast and then, uh, good. I'll book, I'll book that time with you separately. Oh, no, the answer is I don't know. So oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. just keep, you know, yelling about it on Twitter. Right. Sure. Um, well dude, uh, I knew that we were probably around the same age. I just could pick up on that, uh, that elder millennial vibe. Um, no, I appreciate it, man. I'm excited about the show and, uh, and that you're, you know, putting so much behind it in terms of, uh, telling the stories the way that you are and not just loosely chatting with people like I do. Oh no. So I'm excited. No, it's all place. no shame. Rain. All right. I'm, I'm working <laughs> through it. I got to go listen to shame rules. Uh, dude, I appreciate it, man. And I'm happy to have been the first show that you're on promoting your show. Yeah, I'm very excited. Thank you so much. This was so fun. I should just be on people's podcasts all the time and stop making my own. This is way easier. It's Yeah, it's more fun too. <laughs> Thanks. My name is Rain Bennett. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow, and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.